to bring us together to our Father and to learn together from Him as we come to His Word. And we're going to be continuing to look at the book of First Thessalonians today. We're going to be looking at First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. So I invite you to turn there. And this is a text that I think is perhaps even more controversial, even more countercultural than what we looked at last week when we talked about the call of Paul to a faithful sexuality. Because Paul says something here that I think cuts across the grain of what our culture values, what our culture aspires to. You know, you may be familiar with the the recent controversy around a certain adult beverage and their selection of a certain influencer to be a part of their brand uh, and getting their brand out. And the way that it's caused controversy because some people dislike this influencer and this influencer's um, uh, sexuality and gender identity. And because of that, people are like, well, I don't want to hold to this brand anymore. But think about why that matters. Why does it matter to us? Because in some way in our culture, we say that if this person who is an influencer is connected to this brand, then I don't want to value them because I don't value that person. But this brand is selecting an influencer or asking an influencer to be part of that brand because there's something about our culture that says if someone is well-known, if someone is famous, then they matter to us. They're important to us. In our society, we value influence through fame. In our society, we aspire to be well-known. This is what we see even in our reality TV shows like American Idol, America's Got Talent, The Voice. People are clamoring to to be seen, to be known. Even think about it this way. You may be familiar with um, Paris Hilton, who was an early social influencer. And what made her important? It was that she was the, the daughter of rich parents. And because she had rich parents, She became known and famous. But you may not know that through her, she had a stylist, a stylist that was connected to her fame. And that stylist's name was Kim Kardashian. And Kim Kardashian became famous herself because she was connected to famous Paris Hilton. And she ended up having her own show, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And on that show, there was another person another person named Kylie Jenner. And Kylie Jenner became famous because she was on a famous show with someone who was famous because they knew a famous person. And then Kylie Jenner became the world's youngest billionaire, all because she had been known by being around people that were known. And what that tells us is that our culture sees as the path to greatness, the path to Getting what you want in this life comes through being 
known, being famous. And we hold up the people that are known as influencers. And we fight over who should be those influencers because in our culture, they're the top of the heap. But Paul is in this passage saying that the way that the Christians live is fundamentally different. And that the goal of the Christian life is not to aspire to fame, to not aspire to be an influencer because people know you, but that the way that God will work to transform the world is much more subtle, much more simple. It's this, ordinary love, ordinary love. That's what Paul shows us in this passage, that ordinary love is what will transform this world. But let's hear now from Paul himself as he says these things in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. I'm going to read this for us. This is God's word. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourself have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I'm going to pause and pray that he would bless it. And I invite you to pray along with me in your heart. Father, we thank you that you are the one who changes the world and also changes our heart and that you have said it is through this, through these words in your spirit that you do these things. And so we pray that today as we reflect upon this, change would happen and that you would draw us deeper into an understanding of you and your love. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. So Paul, in this passage, is continuing to encourage the Thessalonians how to live. And the Thessalonian church was one of the first churches that Paul planted. And it was a small little church in the the region of Macedonia. And Paul was writing to them to encourage them to continue to do the things that he had called them to do. And he was writing them and sending this letter through Timothy, who had told them about the church, and and helping them to understand that, that you're doing some good things. Continue to do that. And one of the things that Paul highlights that they're doing is the way that they're doing what every Christian should do, loving each other. So in verse 9 and 10, he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourself have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more. There Paul sees that the way that they are living in their ordinary life is a life of love. And Paul wants to highlight that and encourage them in what they're doing. So that when he says, you don't need anyone to write to you about this, he isn't saying, well, it's useless what I'm doing. But he's saying that is like, don't you see that you're already doing this? And I want to encourage you that what you are doing is good. 
Paul sees the Thessalonians' love, and he wants to highlight this for them and say that this that you're doing is something that is important. You know, it's interesting that every single one of Paul's letters has the command to love one another. Every single one of his letters. It's a foundation to Paul that that in the Christian life, what should mark it, what should be seen in it, is a simple love for one another. And Paul says, I've seen this in you, the way that you've cared for each other. And not just each other, as he says, this has been seen, he says, throughout Macedonia. Now, Macedonia was an area that at this time was was hit with extreme poverty. So that we see in Corinthians, Paul talking about the, the church in Corinth raising up money so that he can help deliver it to the Macedonians who were hit by extreme poverty. Macedonia was a place where there were a lot of poor believers. And and Paul has seen the Thessalonians move towards the the people in the region, caring for them, providing for them. And he wants to say that this is good, this is beautiful, what you're doing in loving each other. And Paul is wanting to highlight for them this aspect of love for each other as a foundational part of how they live out the Christian life. That the Christian life starts with the simple aspects of how do they reflect what Jesus says is the greatest commandment. What is the greatest commandment that Jesus taught his followers? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And here he's highlighting how the Thessalonians have been doing a good job of that, loving their neighbor, loving their brothers and sisters as themselves, caring for them and providing for the poor in their area in Macedonia, caring for those who are amongst them and providing for them. And Paul is highlighting it because he says that this itself is something that helps the gospel go forth, that this itself helps people to see and understand the nature of God. And he does this by reflecting on the fact that he says that this is something that I want you to do more and more. Do you remember that from last week? More and more? Last week, when we were looking at that earlier part of chapter 4, Paul calls the people into Thessalonica to be continuing to seek to please God more and more. More and more. Paul is there calling for a striving, a continuing effort to to do something, not just as you have done it, not just resting on the past work that you've done, but to continue to strive to do something more and more. And he's highlighting two things that he wants them to do more and more. In the beginning of chapter 4, to seek to please God in their life of holiness. And here in this section, to seek to love others. And as Paul's thinking about these two things, these pieces of the great commandment, Paul says that these are things that you need to aspire to do in your life. Aspire to live out in your life. And this is why he goes on to say in beginning of verse 11, aspire to live quietly. Now, what Paul is doing is he's building for them a foundation of what they should seek to strive for, what the ambition of their life should be, that the the thing they should strive for, the ambition of their life, is to embody in their life holiness, to embody in their life godliness, 
to embody in their life the character of God so that through their life, God might be seen. We reflected on that a bit last week, that that sexuality mattered to Paul because in a way it reflected God. It reflected God to the the world and to ourself, that that what you do in your body matters because it, it speaks to you and to others about your belief in God and what God is like. And here again, Paul is saying that what you do in your body matters because what you do reflects to you, reflects to your brothers and sisters in Christ, and reflects to the world what God is like. And Paul says your ambition, your aspiration is not for people to see something about you, to not live loud, to not advance your brand, but to aspire to live in a way that reflects God, to do more and more just the simple aspects of what Jesus says was the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul says that this is what should be the aspiration of a Christian, to aspire to live a quiet life. Now that word aspire is sometimes translated in ambition. It's what Paul uses when he talks about my ambition is to preach the gospel or my ambition is to please the Lord. He has in mind a sense of striving, a sense of effort, a sense of focus on doing something that will bring God glory, that will bring God pleasure, that will bring God delight in his life. And he's holding out to this church of the Thessalonians saying that as you are thinking about your life, what is it that is your ambition? What is it that you aspire? to? What is it that is what you value the most? And in our culture, what we value the most is to be famous, to be seen, to be known. But isn't it so remarkable that Paul says the opposite is the goal of a Christian, to aspire to a quiet life. Because the goal of a Christian is not to be seen for who we are. The goal of a Christian is not for our name to be seen as good. The goal of a Christian is not for Chuck to be held up and Chuck to be glorified. The goal of a Christian is for God to be seen through us, for God to be seen working in us, for the character of God to be manifested in our life. And Paul is wanting the Thessalonians to see that the most powerful thing that they can do is to continue what they are already doing, simply loving each other, simply loving God. And this is important for us to remember because so often we as the church and we as individuals can get sidetracked in our basic Christian life because we seek to find something extraordinary to make our message pop, to seek for something extraordinary to make the gospel go forward. So we can easily put an emphasis on strategy. We can easily put an emphasis on size. We can easily put an emphasis on marketing and saying, if we do these things, if we do those things, then the gospel will go forth. Then people might come to faith. But Paul says that those extraordinary things are not what shows God, but what shows God the most is when his character is seen most clearly. 
do you believe that the most compellingly beautiful thing that this world could see is God's character? Do you think that what your neighbor needs, your coworker needs, that the, the people here in Fuquay Verena need to see the most to come to faith is God's character? If you do, what does that say about the way that you view God's character? If you believe that what they need to see most is his character, that means that you think that it's what's most valuable, most beautiful, what's most compelling in your life. Do you believe that the most compelling thing to you is the beauty of God? If so, then, then you will think that, that what I need to do in order to have an impact on those around me is not try to make God's character look better, but to better reflect God's character in my own life. And Paul wants the Thessalonians to get this because they're this small church enduring persecution and, and wondering, is what we do important? Is what we do mattering? Is what we do going to, to impact the world? And Paul says, yes, keep it up. Continue to seek to please God in your day-to-day your -day life. Continue to love one another and leave the results to God. Trust him for the growth, but seek to grow to be like him. Yeah, I hope that this is an encouragement to y'all as a church. That you don't need to worry about your size. You don't need to worry about your impact. But you need to continue to do what you're doing. Faithfully loving each other. Faithfully gathering together and loving God. That's what he calls you to. He doesn't call you to the results. He calls you to the faithful things. And continuing to do those faithful things speaks to yourself that what is most beautiful to us is not being famous, not being large, not having an impact, but what is most beautiful to us is the character of God. Knowing it, learning about it, and experiencing it in community. Paul's desire is for the Thessalonians to aspire to that, to not worry about influence or impact, but to simply think, how can I see God's character come out in my life? And what that does is it, it frees them. It frees them to that quiet life. That word quiet, as Paul's talking about it, isn't just like not talking. This isn't an excuse for those of us who are introverts to say, well, the Bible tells me I shouldn't talk a lot, so I'll just do that. That's not what he means with, he says, to aspire to live to a quiet life. What he has in mind is, is kind of how like sometimes when you've had a, a chaotic day at work, you think, I just want to go home and have some peace and quiet, right? That's the idea that he has in mind, a kind of simplicity in restfulness. 
Paul is saying that, that what you should aspire to isn't that sense of impact or, or influence, not that, that you don't want to have an impact or influence, but that what you aspire to is a, a restful heart, knowing that, that as you are faithfully doing what you need to do, God will do the rest. And so this faithfulness brings about this sense of quiet that, that I can be content in the life that God calls me to. I can be content to do what God gives me this day. And as I trust in being faithful and living out God's character in this day, I can trust Him with the results. And when you get that, it brings you so much more peace. When you get that, it brings so much more of that peace and quiet we all long for. You know, the heartbeat of anxiety is your body and your brain telling you that what you're doing, you can't actually do. We feel anxious when we feel overwhelmed, when we're asking more of ourselves than we should be able to do. And anxiety is a gift of God that's like a dashboard light that says, hey there, tiger, you need to slow down. There's something that you are asking of yourself that you weren't meant to do. That is beyond you. And so Paul says that the goal of a Christian life is to aspire to a quiet life, a peaceful life, a restful life. Not just being quiet, but having that quieted heart that is content to do that day what God brings out to you to do. A simple life of living faithfully towards Him. And Paul sees this as sometimes creating a problem in the way that, that we can miss this when we try to have an influence. We can miss this when we try to impact others. He says the goal is to love one another, but he says that you get into problems when you try to do that in a way that you shouldn't. So he says, aspire to live a quiet life. And then he follows this up with, and mind your own affairs. Now, why does he Put that next. It's because it's easy to, instead of focusing on what we need to do each day, to look around and point out to others what they need to do. We see this in our family. We see this when somebody points out what someone is doing is wrong. And the gut response is always, well, they're doing it too. Or, well, they're doing it that way. We all are like that, right? That when someone points out something about us, our gut reaction is saying, well, they're doing it wrong too. Or they're doing this wrong as well. And why is it that we want to deflect a sense of our own failure back on someone else's failure? It's because most of us don't want to deal with ourselves. Most of us would rather deal with other people's problems. Most of us would rather be distracted from our own sense of inadequacy, our own sense of failures, our own sense of brokenness, and instead meddle in other people's life. And this was apparently a growing problem in the Thessalonian church because we see actually in 2 Thessalonians, Paul say again, brothers, don't walk in idleness. Because some of you, instead of being busy, are being busy bodies. Paul burned the Thessalonian church. What a great quip, right? Instead of being 
focused on how they need to reflect God's character and grow in it in their own life. They were looking around to other problems and getting involved in that. And Paul says, that's not love. That's not holiness. That's distraction. So often, we get distracted with other people's problems and don't take care of our own. And, and one way that this happens is with politics. I don't want to wade into politics, but I know for myself that at times I would much rather focus on the problems I see in our political world than the problems in my own heart. And more often than not, I would easily get angry about the problems in our political world, but fail to have that same sense of anger at myself, and the sins that are still clinging to my heart, and the ways that in my own life I am failing to do the simple tasks of loving God and loving my neighbor. And I can go down the rabbit holes of political commentary and articles with ease because it's so much easier to look and see the faults in the political system and to be imaginative about how it could all be fixed if I was in charge than to stop and to be self-reflective on my own heart and the own ways that I am failing to do the simple task of loving my literal neighbor, loving my family well, and loving God. Paul wants the Thessalonians to not get distracted with other things that feel like they could make an impact, but fail to do the simple thing that will make an impact, to seek to live out God's character daily in the simple life. And so he says, mind your own affairs. And then he says, work with your own hands. Now, the fact that he's saying work with your own hands doesn't mean that he's kind of prioritizing over all other work, manual labor, but it's a reflection that this group of Christians was most likely artisans, most likely manual laborers. This was a blue-collar church. And Paul is wanting them to see that there's a beauty to what they do in working with their hands. And this is, again, a countercultural idea because in this culture, the thing that was most valued was not the body but the spirit. This was a platonic culture that, that thought that the best thing you could be was a philosopher, someone who thought, someone who dreamed, someone who imagined, someone who went into the spirit world as opposed to a day-to-day -day worker. But Paul says your day-to-day -day work is valuable. Don't think that it is meaningless. Don't think of it as a simple paycheck. But see that, that working with your hands, doing what God has called you that day, is pleasing to God, is honoring to God. You know, Paul himself even modeled this to the Thessalonians. As he talked about earlier in chapter 2, he says, Don't you see how I worked day and night so that I could provide for my own needs and, and not to be dependent upon y'all for provision? Paul demonstrated how he would work with his own hands to be able to provide for his needs, to be able to have enough to give to others, to be able to give to the Thessalonians. And Paul wants the Thessalonians to see that their work has that kind of value. It's a way that they love each other by providing for their own needs, by being able to have enough to care for themselves so that they have the opportunity. They may have abundance to be able to care for the poor. 
Paul says that that has value. Your work has value. And in a culture that says that your work lacks value and what is held up most is a thought world, he says, no, getting down and getting dirty is beautiful. Because in that same way, you're reflecting God. Because isn't that what God did? He, he got down, he got dirty in the act of creation. He used his hands to be able to mold and shape the stars. He used his hands in a figurative sense to create this world. And, and when he created man, he took dust and he formed it and he breathed into it life. And we see this even in Jesus. What was Jesus' job? He was a carpenter. He made stuff with his hands. And the creator God in all of his glory thought that that job was one worthwhile to glorify by saying that the incarnate God in the majority of his life on this earth would spend his time building things as a carpenter, working with wood, helping people make houses, chairs and tables. You ever think that that's the majority of Jesus's life? Simple day-to-day working with his hands? And this is what Paul is wanting the Thessalonians to see, that, that this reality of daily faithfulness in what God provides you to is not something to look down on or to think that it doesn't matter, but to see this as something that transforms the world. So that he goes on and says that this is what we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. He's wanting them to see that, that as you're doing this, you're acting properly, you're walking properly, that your life is properly ordered, that this life is a life of love, to care for yourself, provide for your needs, to provide for your neighbors, to to do what God faithfully calls you. And he says that this is what the outsiders need to see the most, a simple, faithful life. And that the cumulative impact of this is what is going out into surrounding regions. Is what he says at the beginning of the book of Thessalonians is causing people to hear about the gospel. That it wasn't that they were extraordinarily gifted preachers. It wasn't that they had an extraordinarily great social media marketing strategy. It wasn't that there's was something extraordinary about them at all. But they were ordinarily faithful in what God called them to every single day. And in that ordinary faithfulness, they were loving God. In that ordinary faithfulness, they were loving each other. And in that ordinary love, people were being changed. Because that is countercultural. To think that such a simple life can be so extraordinary. But the beautiful thing about this is that Paul, as he's reflecting on this reality, says that you know, this, again, is, is not about you trying to have an impact out of your own wisdom. It's not about you trying to do this in an almost manipulative way, that if we live this way, then people will come to, to know God. And so we're strategically being ordinary, strategically being quiet. But he's saying that in all these ways, all that you're doing in your simple 
faithful life is saying to God that the most beautiful thing I can do this day is to live it in a way that reflects to you that you are most beautiful. And we see this in the way that Paul says back again in verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourself have been taught by God to love one another. That's a remarkable phrase, for you yourself have been taught by God. In fact, the word that is there taught by God in the Greek, it's the only time that we ever see that word. And, And scholars think that Paul basically made this word up. But he makes it a word to pop. He makes it a word so that they see it and they they say, oh, that's different. Because he wants them to understand that there's something remarkable going on in the way that they're loving each other. That that what that is, is that showing that, that who God is has impacted them. That God's character is shaping them. That, that the way that God has lived has transformed them. Because what they're doing in loving each other isn't being strategic, isn't thinking about how can we change the world, but what they're doing in loving each other is saying that what we've seen in God is so beautiful, I want to see it in my life too. And what did they see in God? It's what Paul had taught them. It's the gospel. That the creator God didn't keep himself above creation, but he came down and was born into dirt, the dirt that he breathed life. He became like us in flesh and he lived a faithful life in his own life, caring for himself, caring for those, working with his hands, aspiring to quietly live and living that kind of life and doing all these things, not so that he could transform the world with his tremendous plan, but to transform the world with a simple task of loving it because he loved God. And the life of Jesus demonstrates this faithful love that he had towards others and and towards us and towards this world. And that faithful love is what transformed the world. It wasn't Jesus' teaching. It wasn't Jesus' miracles. It was Jesus' love seen in the cross. That ordinary love proved to be extraordinary in transforming everything around them. And when we see that reality is beautiful, then that's what we aspire to. That's what our ambition is like, to seek to have that same kind of ordinary love with the confidence that that is what pops, that shows to God that it's not that I have to be better than you, greater than you. I have to take what you've given me and make it better because it's not good enough, but to say to him, who you are pleases me and there's nothing more that would please me today than to live out your character. Because it's so beautiful for me to see in myself, so beautiful for me to see in others because it's not me seeing me, it's not me seeing them, it's me seeing you. And that's what Paul wants the church to be. He wants it to be an in-breaking into this world of the beauty of holiness, an in-breaking into this world, the beauty of God's character, so this world can see in a simple, ordinary way how extraordinary beautiful is the God that we worship. The more that we believe that that's what the world needs to see. 
more that we are freed to simply be. There's a great demonstration of this in, in a person that I, I heard about on NPR. And it's a Lutheran pastor in St. Paul, Minnesota. And he actually is also an adjunct professor at the University of Minnesota. Uh, he went back to get a Ph.D., and while he was doing his Ph.D. work, he needed a job to pay the bills because he had a family. And so the only job that he could find was to collect trash. He became a trash man, a trash collector. And after he finished his Ph.D., he decided to keep collecting trash. And it's interesting why he does it. He says this, I don't want to say that this is more important than what I do as a pastor or a professor, but it's definitely important. You're doing something for people. And I think especially I'm aware of that when it's hot outside, when it's really smelly, where there are a lot of maggots in the trash. But he says, as a garbage man, I probably know more about people than their pastor does because their trash tells me a story. He talks about one time he found a note written on the back of the envelope that says, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I just can't stand the pain anymore. And he said, he looked at it and he thought, my job is to collect the trash. And so he said, he stopped and he prayed for that person. And then he took out the trash. And he says that, what reminds him day in, day out of the impact he's having is that every small thing he says, every small thing that we do for other people is valuable, even if it is really small and unnoticed. And people have trash, and somebody has to clean it up. I think that captures this idea beautifully that daily loving people, taking care of simple needs like taking out the trash, may be unnoticed, may feel unimportant, but that is simple, ordinary love that proclaims to the world that God's love is beautiful and extraordinary. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to use our simple efforts, to use our simple lives, to allow your glory to be seen. Help us to rest in that, to appreciate that, and to aspire to that. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.